Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. A warning, this episode features discussions of sexual coercion, incest, and murder. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Pelops had never moved so fast. It was as if the gods themselves were pulling him forward. The wind whipped at his hair. His hands felt numb from clutching the reins of the chariot. Foam frothed from his horse's mouths, and yet they sped faster and faster. And still, despite all that, the other chariot was pulling further ahead. King Enemaeus seemed to have superhuman skill as a charioteer, even though he was a mere mortal, and Pelops, the grandson of Zeus. Pelops squinted through the rushing wind, his heart pounding in his throat. If he lost this race, he'd lose everything. The princess, his freedom, and his head. He couldn't afford that, not after fighting so hard, not after the Moirai had given him a second chance at life, and leaving Poseidon had given him a third. He had to keep going, keep driving, get this horse to move faster. But as Pelops cracked his whip yet again and felt blood seep out of his palms where he clutched his reins and still couldn't seem to close the distance, something strange started to happen ahead in King Enemaeus's chariot. One of its rear wheels was starting to wiggle. Pelops couldn't understand how or why as he squinted through the wind, trying to see what was troubling the wheel. But he did know one thing. He was finally gaining on the king. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're exploring the story of Pelops, the mythical founder of the Olympics. But before he made that name for himself, he lived through a series of dangerous, disturbing challenges. Last week, we met him as a young man who faced murder by his own father, resurrection by the three fates, and seduction by Poseidon himself. This week, we'll follow him as he sets out to leave his immortal lover and find his own destiny. Coming up, Pelops faces the wrath of Poseidon by breaking up with him. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Poseidon sat on a throne carved of coral and decked with pearls at the center of an empty hall. His face was like stone, still, cold, terribly beautiful. His hands, gripping the arms of his seat, were like marble vices, and his eyes stared straight ahead as if penetrating a million miles of dark, salty sea. But for all his silence, he wasn't alone. On his knees before the god, head bowed and supplicant, was Pelops. He'd been there for what felt like ages, waiting. Pelops had said his piece. He'd explained that he was grateful for Poseidon's love and his time beneath the sea, that he had loved the god too, and still did, but that now it was time. Time to break out of the water and back into human time itself. He'd expected Poseidon to erupt like the powerful ocean he was. He'd been ready to face that rage bravely and staunchly, and perhaps eventually calm the god. Instead, the god had gone still and cold, more iceberg than roiling sea. Pelops's legs were numb from kneeling, his neck was cramped, and yet what could he do? As long as he was under the water, Poseidon had all the power. Pelops continued to kneel. His mind started to wander along the currents of the waves humming outside the room. And then he started to feel his heart beat faster, almost like a reminder. Clotho's words floated back. Mortals are never playing the same game as the gods, because the gods make the rules. Pelops almost gasped. This was another game, or rather, the same game he'd been playing since getting trapped in Poseidon's web. He couldn't just bow to the inertia. Before he could second-guess himself, Pelops pushed himself off the floor and looked directly into the sea god's cold, distant eyes. I'm leaving. Then Pelops turned on his heel. He walked quickly down the long, echoey length of the hall. But as he reached the door, a sound he'd never expected to hear today stopped him in his tracks. <laughs> Pelops turned around in astonishment to see Poseidon laughing. 
Oh, Pelops, you are a stubborn little beauty. So determined. That's why I like you. <sighs> of course, it's why I'm losing you. You've broken through my spells, my lullabies, and my whispers. The soft chant of my waves. You're actually rather like that dreadful father of yours, challenging a god. But you've done it much more charmingly. Poseidon rose from his throne in a fluid motion and almost floated down the hall towards Pelops. He reached out a hand. This was always a temporary affair anyway. Like all my affairs with mortals, I'll need another lover soon. And you've won your freedom through sheer determination. Poseidon, I... You're being so kind. <laughs> well, you played my game well. If ever there were a mortal who deserved to go and win a few challenges on land and become a king or some such, it's you. Come on, I'll give you a chariot to get back to the shore, and it may come in handy for whatever tests you face next. With that, the lovers, hand in hand, ascended to the top of the palace, where Poseidon kissed Pelops goodbye, and the befuddled young man entered his new chariot. Pelops felt more confused about the gods than ever as his chariot ascended. He remembered those ominous threats Poseidon had whispered in his ear about what he'd do if he ever lost his lover. But apparently the god had changed his mind. He was free to go, with an Olympian's chariot for his own, too. Finally, he could seize life fully, confidently, as he wanted to do, something he hadn't been able to do in Poseidon's world or his father's world before that. The palace of King Enemaeus seemed like the perfect place to start it all. After all, as Clotho had explained, there was a princess there that needed rescuing. And as a newly freed prince, Pelops knew he was just the one to do it. Pelops thought he had never been happier as he arrived in Pisa, King Animaeus's city. The king might be wicked, but his holdings were thriving. The market was lively, the streets were chaotic, the men and women were strong and cheerful. Smells and sounds clamored for attention. Pelops couldn't help grinning at everyone he passed. There was so much life here. It was magnificent. He could have simply driven his cart through the city for hours. He was so delighted by the sights. But in most cities, all roads eventually lead to the palace. And Pisa was no exception. In contrast to the bustling city, King Enemaeus's palace was quiet. Its tall gates stood open, but the guards outside looked somber and unwelcoming. What caught Pelops's attention most of all, however, was what he saw beyond the gates. 
a young woman was walking quietly around the palace garden. Her face was beautiful, but even from a distance, Pelops could see that it was twisted with sadness. Her brow was furrowed, her mouth turned down, and her neck bent towards the ground as if it carried a terrible weight. In an instant, he knew this was Princess Hippodamia. The gates were open. She could have walked right out to Pelops, to the city beyond, wherever she wanted to go. But Pelops knew better than that. He knew how walls were not always visible, and the highest ones were almost always in the mind. Hippodamia bent down to pluck a poppy. She closed her sad eyes as she smelled the blood-red flower. Pelops's heart felt like it might burst. He'd planned to rescue her ever since Clotho told him her story, that her father held her hostage as his lover, that he treated her thus because of a prophecy which claimed her future husband would kill him. But now after seeing Hippodamia in the flesh, Pelops's resolve hardened. He no longer had a choice. He had to challenge King Animaeus, and he had to win. Guards, I'd like to speak to the king. Where might I find him? The guards gestured him forward through the gates and towards the palace. Pelops paused as he passed near Hippodamia, but she didn't turn towards him and wandered farther off into the trees. So he pressed on towards the palace doors, then down its long halls, and finally into the throne room. Pelops walked through the hall full of its finely dressed courtiers and bowing servants and straight to the throne at the head of the room. The palace, while grand, had none of the splendor of Poseidon's, and King Animaeus had none of the sea god's majesty. The thought gave him courage as he came to a halt, and with a bow, addressed the king. King Animaeus, I am Pelops, son of Tantalus, grandson of Zeus, and a prince in my own right. I come before you with a simple request, the hand of your daughter. <laughs> Another prince looking for a bride. How new. <laughs> well... I never turn away a worthy suitor outright, but naturally, there's a challenge. Of course, not just any man would be worthy of such a daughter as yours. Ah, well, at least you have the right sense of things. I do. Well then, I'm sure you've heard I'm quite the charioteer. We'll have a chariot race. If you win, Hippodamia's hand is yours. If you lose, I'll cut off your head. Is that not a slightly uneven penalty? <laughs> well, her previous suitors were fine with it. Come, where are my slaves? Show the prince how the other boys paid. With that, a servant pulled a cord, drawing up an embroidered curtain hanging behind the king's throne. On the other side was a terrible sight. The heads of 13 men were suspended there, hanging on cords from the vaulted ceiling like appalling baubles. Pelops thought he might be sick. 
He stumbled backward a few steps and glanced around him at the courtiers and the servants, who all looked away, ashamed at their king, but afraid to say a word. Then Pelops looked back at Enemaeus, whose face was twinkling with cheery amusement. There, now you understand the stakes. Are you still interested in my daughter's hand? There's no shame in turning around now. I've heard tell of your recent adventures, boy. You have every right to preserve your life somewhere far away from here. Pelops stood silent for a moment, fighting his nausea and staring into the king's face with wide eyes. This man was no Poseidon, but he was strong in his own way, clearly an impressive charioteer. It would be more difficult to defeat him than Pelops might have hoped. But he wouldn't give up now. He couldn't let the doubts his father had planted in his mind keep blooming. Not now, not when Tantalus was long gone, stuck in Hades. He would use his wit as best he could, in combination with his strength. He'd find the inner resolve to drive faster than any suitor had ridden his chariot before. And then, God's willing, he would win. If he lost, well, at least he'd go down fighting for freedom. After all, this was what he had always wanted, a challenge fit for a hero. I accept your race, Animaeus. Coming up, Pelops' resolve is put to the test. Listeners, have you heard the eerie new podcast, Superstitions? Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this mystifying series from Parcast. You do not want to miss it. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Pelops had one day to prepare for his chariot race with King Enemaeus, and as he ran out of the king's palace, he was determined to make good use of it. The stakes couldn't have been higher. Princess Hippodamia's freedom was on the line, as was his head. And there was another problem. Pelops wasn't exactly in the best shape of his life, after all the time he'd spent lounging around Poseidon's palace. His once flat stomach had become noticeably less solid. He needed to get to Pisa's best gym immediately. At first, Pelops put down his head and got to work. 
He began to warm up his muscles slowly as he'd learned as a boy. He strapped on weights to make the exercises harder. He began to feel creaks and aches, but he kept going, kept moving, and slowly the movements began to flow. While there was no denying he'd lost some of his strength, Pelops felt more focused than he'd ever been while training back in Anatolia under his father's cruel, watchful eye. His movements were more graceful, as if some part of that quiet, constant flow of Poseidon's ocean had seeped its way into his muscles while he lay beneath the waves, as if they'd made his body more supple, if not exactly larger or more muscular. But for all his focus, Pelops couldn't help but notice the small crowd gathering around him as he worked. They stood with arms crossed. Some nodded thoughtfully and appreciatively at an artful move. But others looked grim. They shook their heads and sighed, or chuckled at the disappointing irony that this was today's hero. As Pelops paused his exercises to examine his horses and chariot and get the rig set up for some rounds of driving, one of those grim spectators came up to his horses and started stroking the beast. So you're King Anemaeus' latest challenger, are you? Come to rescue the princess? I am. I'm Pelops, son of Tantalus and a grandson of Zeus. Well, that's nice. Hopefully you'll have the luck of the gods on your side. Well, let's see how you drive this rig. After all, you're facing an athletic contest, not a pedigree contest. Pelops scowled at the athlete beside him, trying to keep his mind on that strong flow he'd felt just moments before and off his father's old taunts. That he was a mediocre athlete, that he'd never amount to anything, he already had amounted to something. He'd stood up to a god, and unlike his father, he'd survived the effort. But the athlete wasn't wrong. This contest would go to the best charioteer. With a nervous glance at the spectators, he mounted his chariot, guided the horses to the hippodrome outside the gym, and began to drive. <laughs> Pelops started slowly, getting a feel for the track, for the horses, whom he'd never raced before, for the way the chariot creaked and swayed with every step the horses took. Then he started driving them faster and faster. He was shocked. His body swayed with his rig like they were born together. That same flow he'd felt while working out on the floor, it was helping him here. He kept going. He felt the wind start to sting his face. His eyes could only see the track. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else existed. It was him, his chariot, his horses, and the road in front of them. There was a turn coming up, the most dangerous part of a chariot racing course. For a moment, Pelops felt his focus falter. He felt the strain of his tired, weak arms. But then he snapped around the bend with perfect precision and speed and drew his horses to a slow halt. 
The watching athletes exploded into cheers. That had been beautifully done. Pelops might be rather small, his muscles undeveloped, his gut less than firm, but he could drive a chariot. Pelops, turning towards the onlookers, broke into a grin. He had done that well. He knew he had. But then, that same grim-looking athlete stepped forward from the crowd. He smiled at Pelops sadly. You're good, boy. You are. I see that. Thank you. Thank you for your support. I said you're good. Unfortunately, I've watched King Anemaeus train, and there's a reason he beat every suitor who ever came for his daughter's hand. There's a reason he sets a chariot race as his test. He's better. Pelops stared at the man before him and swallowed. He wanted to lash out to say this was intimidation and it wouldn't work, but he could see that the man was sincere. This was no scare tactic. He was facing one of the best charioteers in the world tomorrow. And while Pelops was a decent athlete, even a good one, whatever his father used to say, he couldn't claim that title. He'd just have to hope that the gods' favor, Poseidon's carriage, and sheer determination would be enough to carry him through. But for someone watching quietly from the back of the crowd of athletes, hope had long ago run dry. Princess Hippodamaya had slipped down to the gym to watch her father's latest challenger train, as she always did. She'd been hopeful about this one when he stepped out onto the floor to warm up, despite his unimpressive physique. He looked promising in other ways, handsome, princely, and there was kindness in the way he carried himself. Plus, she'd heard the stories of Pelops, of his resurrection by the fates, of his sojourn under the sea with Poseidon, which he'd apparently escaped. If nothing else, he was surely determined. Unfortunately, none of the stories mentioned his prowess as a charioteer, and now she saw why. He wasn't bad, but that wasn't good enough, not when he was going up against her father. Hippodamaya slipped quietly away from the crowd, around a corner of the gym, and threw herself onto a pile of hay bales sitting there, waiting for the athlete's horses. The prickles of the bale stabbed into her soft palms, and swallowing the lump in her throat, she pressed them deeper. For years she'd been waiting, and her hope that this time things would go differently, that this time the suitor would somehow beat her father, that hope was gone. She saw the facts, and once again they spelled doom, for Pelops and for her. She stood up and began to pace. She paced and paced until afternoon faded into a pastel sunset, and the athletes packed their bags for home. She paced until her father's charioteer, Myrtilus, got nervous alerts from the gym's attendants. They were trying to leave for home, too, but the princess looked unwell. She paced until Myrtilus hurried down to the gym. He took her arm and gently led her inside to the little office he kept there. 
Myrtilus offered the princess a glass of wine and a warm slice of bread, and then he took her hand in both of his. Hippotamia, I know this is agonizing, seeing another doomed suitor fall into the same trap. If only I could challenge your father. I'm a charioteer. I know how he rides. I might actually beat him. But he knows that too. He would never accept your challenge. And more importantly, I'm of common blood. I have no right to your hand anyway. Hippotamia just looked away. She wanted out so badly, but every idea felt like a dead end. She couldn't run away. She wouldn't survive. She had no skills, and her father made sure to keep anything of value out of her hands. Her jewels were doled out like candy to a child, a few per day, and then locked away at night in his vault. She'd even thought of death. At least it would put the river sticks between her and her father and his grasping, bloody hands. But perhaps there was another way. Myrtilus, you once said that you would help me at any cost. Is that still true? Of course, princess. Even if what I ask you to do betrays the rules of sportsmanship you hold so dear? The rules of... What are you talking about? There may be a way out, for me, but I need your help, and it's a big request. I need you to tamper with my father's chariot. Myrtilus looked at Hippotamia in shock. He'd known the princess since she was still a girl. She was never one to rig a game or play a trick of any kind. Of course, her circumstances over the past few years would change anyone. This request went against every instinct he had. His pride as a charioteer, his dedication to his work and his sport. But this was Hippotamia, and he loved her. I want to help you, I do, but I feel conflicted. Please, Myrtilus, I know you're a sportsman, but sport is about glory and skill. And my father has twisted it into something else, something evil. He'd do nothing to mar your honor by helping me. Please, I beg of you. You'll have whatever you want when it's over. I'll do anything to thank you. There is one thing that I would ask. Anything. I know if Pelops wins the race, you'll be his wife. That is the game. And he's a prince, a grandson of Zeus. He's fit to be your husband. But before that... Before that? I would lay with you for a night. Just one night. Hippotamia's eyes widened. She loved him like a brother. The cruel irony of the request felt like a vice squeezing her lungs. How could he when he knew what her father did to her? But she was so close to freedom, she could almost taste it. Silently, she nodded. Then she downed the last of her wine and stood to leave. I'll leave the method to you. I don't care. Just make sure my father loses the race. After that, you'll get your reward. Then she turned and walked back up to the palace where her father waited.
Coming up, the race unfolds alongside Hippodamia's dangerous plot. Now back to the story. It was the day of the race. The chariots were at the starting line. Princess Hippodamia was amongst the courtiers at the finish line, and Myrtilus was standing nearby with an army of groomsmen ready to tend to the horses. But Pelops wasn't thinking of the spectators or even the princess. His eyes were on the road. His hands gripped the reins. This was his destiny. Whatever doubts he had, he had to push away. And he was going to win or die trying. As the horn blew, the two chariots took off, building speed, and then flying down the dirt course like arrows. For a while, they were even. But then King Enemaeus picked up speed as they rounded a bend, and Pelops dropped behind. No, he couldn't lose his momentum. At the next bend, he'd catch up. Pelops cracked his whip as Enemaeus's wheels sprayed dirt in his face. He narrowed his focus. The path twisted, and again, Pelops was behind. He gritted his teeth and bent his body into the wind, howling at his horses to move. The chariots were almost invisible to the people cheering by the roadside, but King Enemaeus kept pulling further ahead. The king glanced back at his challenger, a smirk playing on his lips. He really was an extraordinary charioteer, at one with his rig, feeling its creaks and subtle bends as if he were feeling his own limbs. His chest swelled with pride and exhilaration as he turned back towards his horses and the road. But then, Enemaeus felt a strange quivering. That wasn't right. He'd ridden this rig a thousand times with these horses. He'd charted this race course a thousand times too. He knew what it should feel like. This wasn't right at all. But he was flying forward at peak speed. He couldn't stop now. He couldn't even slow. They were nearing the finish line. He just had to make it to the end. But then the ground fell out from underneath him. A short distance back, Pelops watched as the linchpins on King Animaeus' wheels seemed to melt away. The wheels wobbled and then toppled. The horses, confused and exhausted, whipped around another twist in the road. And then what remained of the king's chariot flew over the side of the path, pulling the horses down into an appalling, squealing wreck of wood, hide, and leather reins. As Pelops pulled his horses to a slow halt on the far side of the finish line, the courtiers, the princess, and Myrtilus scrambled towards the fallen chariot. Hippodamia went straight for her father and immediately began to sob. He was mangled almost beyond recognition, soaked in blood, bones poking out at strange angles. The skin on his hands was half peeled off where he'd grasped at his reins, 
and his chest was still. He was dead. Meanwhile, Myrtilus went straight for the wheels of the chariot. He quietly scraped up the wax that was melting there, where bronze linchpins should have been, and had been, before he'd replaced them in the dead of night. The courtiers whispered to one another and poked through the rubble. Slowly, they turned away from the gruesome wreckage and towards Pelops. Something had clearly been done to the cart, but if it was at the princess's bidding, and who could blame her, then it didn't make a difference. Whether through cunning or skill, the race had been won. The king was dead, and Pelops was the champion. He climbed down from his chariot, still unsure what had happened, but beaming at the adoration of the crowd. However it had happened, he'd ridden well. He'd pushed himself, he'd felt the horses and the road beneath him, and moved with them, and flown. And then he'd won the race. The princess was saved, he'd keep his head. Perhaps most important of all, his father's quiet, nagging voice, the one that always seemed to murmur in the back of his head, was finally silent. He felt its absence like a breath of fresh air, coursing through his mind and body. This was freedom. But there was someone else here who had just won freedom. Pelops's face turned more serious. He walked towards Hippodamia, who was still collapsed and sobbing on the ground. He knelt beside her and lifted her wet face. Underneath the tears, there was an enormous smile. Princess, what an honor to see you smile. Pelops, it's over. Hippodamia threw her arms around the prince. The crowd erupted into more cheers, and under the overwhelming sound, Pelops whispered into the princess's ear, You are free. Your life is your own. Come with me, away from the crowd. Myrtilus watched as the young pair moved away from the courtiers and the wreckage of King Enemaeus's chariot. He watched as they knelt quietly in the grass, and he watched as Hippodamia began to speak softly. Even through the tears, she looked more beautiful than ever before. I am free. I feel free for the first time in many years. That's a feeling I understand, princess. That's why I knew I had to come here. Your situation is not the same as mine was, but I think I understood a little. I think looking at you here, now hearing your words, I think that you do. And I know that my father promised me to you if you won this race, but I'd like to make the offer myself now that he's gone. I'd like to invite you to stay here and marry me and be the king by my side. I'd be honored if you'll have me willingly, and happily, too. I know after what you've been through. This is my home, and finally it can really be my home. I want to be queen here. I want to rule over this land and bask in my gardens, all without that old fear. Marry me, and we'll rule over Pisa together. 
Pelops kissed Hippodamaya. He could already see a future with her and with little princes and princesses, a future so different from his past and hers, something beautiful, precious, and hard-won. Myrtilus, still watching, was not having the same jubilant reaction. He felt his gut churn. The prince and princess were together, just as they should be. This was the way things were supposed to end. But still, watching the young couple kiss, he was more resolute than ever. He had a reward to collect. And with sudden determination, he marched up to Hippodamaya to get it. Princess, I think you owe me something. Hippodamaya looked up at Myrtilus, and her face took on some of its old, guarded, steely sadness. She stood up to face him and took his hand. You asked me for something impossible, Myrtilus. Perhaps because you didn't understand how impossible it was. You've been here for me through these dark years, a comfort and a relief. A brother. I know you don't see me as a lover or a husband, and I don't ask you to. I just ask you for one night, one simple night. It's all I want. And you promised it to me. I promised you because I had no choice, Myrtilus. Not then. I needed you. And I will never, ever forget what you did for me. I will give you lands and ships and treasure. I will bless your family and take your daughters to play alongside my own one day. If you'll have that. If you'll accept what we both know. We are family. Real family, not twisted family the way my father had it. Myrtilus's face grew cloudy and dark. He felt something rise in his chest like a serpent, coiling, heavy, poisonous. And then it snapped out through his arm. He grabbed Hippodamaya. Before she or Pelops could react, he dragged her over to a horse and seized the reins from a shocked groomsman. The princess began to kick and scream, a sound born from so much pain and anger, it seemed to shake the very ground. Pelops launched his body towards Myrtilus, but he was too slow. The charioteer dragged Hippodamaya onto the horse and toward the road. Pelops leaped onto another horse and took off after Myrtilus. The courtiers watched in shock as a second race began. But this one didn't last as long, because once again, Pelops got a crucial assist from Hippodamaya herself. Writhing in front of Myrtilus, she slowed down the sportsman, and as the pair reached a twist in the road overlooking a craggy bluff, she bit down on his hand with all her strength. He fumbled his reins, and as he did, Pelops pulled up alongside and grabbed them out of his hands. In one chaotic moment, the trio tumbled to the ground, and the horses were gone. Pelops recovered first. He grabbed Myrtilus with all the speed and spirit he could muster, hoping against hope that it would be enough. Myrtilus was larger and almost certainly stronger. 
But miraculously, it was enough, because as Pelops clawed at the charioteer, the older man seemed to suddenly deflate. That serpent that had reared up and taken hold of his body dissipated. He looked old. He stopped fighting. And he started pleading. <sighs> Pelops, listen. Your victory, that was me. I was the one who sabotaged Animaeus. Princess, tell him, please. But Pelops didn't listen, nor did Hippodamia. Together, the couple dragged the sputtering charioteer towards the edge of the cliff and pushed him over the edge. You'll pay for this! I curse you both! I curse your house! I curse your children and all your line! And with that, he was gone. The fight was finally over. Hippodamia and Pelops both cried, held one another, and whispered promises. The courtiers ran around the bend and said they'd start preparing the nuptial ceremonies. Not all was peaceful and joyous. Hippodamia and Pelops were wary of the curse that Myrtilus had cast as he fell to his death. But they couldn't let that ruin their happiness. They would start their dynasty anyway, confident that after what each of them had overcome, they could survive a simple curse. They did take some precautions, however, at the dawn of their rule. Pelops founded the first temple to Hermes in all of the Peloponnese, because Myrtilus was said to be a descendant of Hermes. That would help heal the wounds of the past and wipe away its curses, they hoped. Their hope was warranted. And Emmaus's holdings grew rapidly once the young couple took charge. Eventually, they ruled over most of the Peloponnese, and they had children who had children who had children, and a fertile, powerful lineage emerged, spreading across all of ancient Greece. Their descendants included great warriors and heroes like Heracles, Theseus, Agamemnon, and Menelaus. But simply birthing a new family tree was not enough for the couple. Pelops and Hippodamia had been through painful trials, trials which had split their families asunder and almost broken them in the process. They craved deeper healing and renewal. So they decided to do more, to start something new, something that would bring people together, like the chariot race that brought them together. Pelops is therefore said to have founded the Olympic Games to honor God and man, strength and strategy. Hippodamia founded the Haraya, or Women's Olympic Games. Long after they were dead and their faces were forgotten and their descendants' heroism had overshadowed their own, they were honored for those games. Even today, Pelops's name is largely remembered because of his connection to the Olympic Games. But the dark, complicated story behind the games is often forgotten. 
It's a pity, because that story gives insight into a sophisticated ancient approach to the complicated idea of unity. Unity is not always the product of easy collaboration and joyful harmony, as Pelops's story shows us. It's something that we have to fight for through every trial that seeks to tear us apart. Whether at the level of family or local community or global community coming together to play sports, unity is beset on all sides at all times. Both Pelops's determination and Hippodamia's cunning were ultimately necessary to forge a new, united path out of a broken past. But together, they managed it. The fact that the Olympic Games continue to this day suggests that even now, unity is possible. It's just on the other side of a new set of modern trials, which will take resolve and wit to overcome. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Nora Battel, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Bill Butts, and Tiana Camacho. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Bad omens, good fortune pure luck? Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.